When you are little, there is no better feeling than waiting for your Christmas gift, your Christmas presents, right? I can remember growing up in South Africa, we did it like a lot of you would do it. That's why you are here today. We would open our gifts on Christmas Eve, the evening, and then Christmas morning, we would go to church. The problem with that is that there's no nighttime before we open the gifts, so you don't just get up and like go and open them, right? There's a whole day that you need to fill somehow to get to the gift. And that is a very long day. Like we were so creative in, in trying to make that day shorter as I was growing up. But we all have that thing where we really are excited about what we're going to get. And if your love language, if you've ever heard about the love languages, there's five of them, and one of them is gifts. So if your love language is gifts and you really appreciate a good gift and you love to give them, then this is very relevant to you, okay? You will understand this. Years ago... We were not kids anymore in London. I were already married. It was our first year of marriage. And she's got this rule because giving is her gift and gifts is her love language. So you don't give her anything that is practical. Like no vacuum cleaners, no irons, no pots and pans, nothing. You know, it has to be something special. So I know that that's a rule, but I bought her something. I think it was a necklace or something, and I knew she would know because not only does she not like it if it's an unthoughtful gift, but she is a master at figuring out what her gifts are. So I knew like if I wrap this, she will see that thing and she will know immediately what it is. So I hid it like somewhere in a little dark corner of my garage so that she couldn't find it. I wrapped it and then wrote a little note and then I bought, by the way, a big vacuum cleaner, an upright vacuum cleaner because we were about to move into a big house. And I wrapped this vacuum cleaner and inside the filter I put a card that said go to this room in the house, in that closet and there you will find your actual gift. So she's got this huge gift, right, like, that's sitting there for like two weeks. She's shaking that thing, like weighing it, trying to figure out what this amazing, incredible, huge gift is. And then Christmas Eve came around, so she's excited. She tears open the top, and it says vacuum cleaner. She just leaves it. Like, she doesn't even open the thing. So I'm like, no, no, come on, like, open it, like, open it. And she starts ripping the paper off, and it's still a vacuum cleaner. So she's like, and her, 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 this was literally a response. She's like, is that it? And I'm like, keep, keep going, keep, keep going. You know, like you can't stop there. Like take it out and like see how it works. And like afterwards, I'm like, the filter might have been too deep, right? Like she had to take the filter out to get to that note. So finally she gets to it and she gets a gift and, and I was a happy wife, happy, happy life. So I was, I was happy again. But this is the interesting thing. If your love language, if, if it's not gifts, you will probably be like, why was that such a big deal? You know, now that I'm older, I'm like, give me something practical. Give me a tool. I'm happy. But if your love language is gifts, the thing they say hurts that person the most is when you give them an unthoughtful gift. So when you give someone whose love language is gifts, when you give them a gift and there's no thought into it, they feel like they are so insignificant that you didn't take the time to in that gift that you made or that thing you bought that you actually put effort into it. It makes them feel ordinary and insignificant, unspecial. And if your love language is not gifts, you might be like, I have no idea why some people are like that because I've never experienced it. I'm, I'm the same way. But we all have experienced those feelings of insignificance, right? Think about it for a moment. When you fail at something that you've worked really hard at, so for months you practiced to get that goal, and then finally at the game where it really mattered, you missed it. That makes you feel insignificant. Or you feel insignificant when you don't live up to the standards that you feel your parents or your teachers or whoever 
gave to you and you just can't live up to them. It makes you feel insignificant. When you worked really hard to get that promotion at work and again, for the second or third time, your boss just goes over your head and appoints someone else for that position that you were working for, it makes you feel insignificant. When you don't have the likes or the followers or the friends or the views on social media that your friends have, it makes people feel insignificant. And this year, 2022, I think made it even worse because we had COVID in 2020 and 2021, and then we thought like, okay, this is done now. Like, this is the good year, right? But then the aftershocks came. So the economy, and and with the war in Ukraine and everything, the economy got bad, and people started struggling. So maybe for the first time in your life, your finances were not what it was supposed to be, and you had to ask for help, and that made you feel insignificant. Maybe you feel like you can never afford a house here because it's so expensive, and that makes you feel insignificant. Maybe the cost your drive or the clothes you have on, whatever it might be, makes you feel insignificant. And if you are on the other spectrum, we're like, oh, I'm so glad I'm successful in everything. I make a good living. Like I live in a nice house. I've got everything. I'm successful. Maybe you say like, oh, that's, that's not relevant to me. It is still relevant to you. I listened to a podcast the other day of a um, quite esteemed writer in the leadership industry and he does coaching with really big companies and when one of his books came out and they reached the New York Times bestseller he said like that was the day I was waiting for right that that's when I'll be successful that's when everything in my life will finally fit together and where I, where I will experience true joy and happiness and and I will feel significant and he said then the day arrived he hit the New York Times bestseller list and still he struggles with imposter syndrome. I don't belong here. I'm like, what, what am I doing here? Still he struggles with feelings of insignificance. So all of us at some point in our life goes through this where we struggle with significance. And that is why today, we, our topic for today for Christmas is searching for significance. Because what if, what if Christmas could change all of that for us? What if Christmas could change our search for significance? What if it can make a difference to this insignificance that I feel deep inside of me? And today we're going to read from one of the Gospels. In the New Testament, the first four books is called the Gospels. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's four books that tells us about the life of Jesus here on earth, written by different people, so there's a bit of a different perspective. And we're going to read from Luke today. And we're going to read about a young girl who, despite good things happening in her life, still felt insignificant, and her encounter with the very first Christmas changed everything. So if you've got your Bibles, you can open to Luke 1. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen, um, or you can download the Bible app on your phone and read it for yourself at home as well. So Luke 1, from verse 26 to verse 38. In verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, now if you don't know who that is, we spoke about her two weeks ago. She was a family member of Mary that became the mother of Jesus, and she was really old when she was pregnant. She couldn't have children. She was really old, and then she finally had a child, so she's pregnant now for six months. During that time, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Hear Mary's response. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. 
But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, and you will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary again. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is now in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. A woman who felt insignificant found significance in a completely different way than expected. It is interesting to me that when the angel appears to her, the, the first word is, Greetings, you who are highly favored. Now, by the way, if you read throughout the Bible, almost every single encounter that people had with angels, so heavenly beings, their response was one of fear. So almost every time, whenever there was an angel, some of the first words they say is, do not be afraid. Mary, her response is not, oh, I'm seeing an angel, I'm going to die, or what's going on? Her response is, I'm not favored. Like, how can you call me favored? That is her very first response. Not fear or anything, but like, this cannot be. And the Bible actually says she was greatly troubled and wondered what it might mean. An angel of God appears and says you are favored and she's troubled by it. Because she experiences deep sense of insignificance. And I wonder why she experienced that. Why did she believe that she did not deserve God's favor? And there's a couple of things maybe in her background that's important for us to know. Like one... The town she was from, Nazareth, was not a town on the map. It was not New York, it was not Toronto, it was not Tel Aviv, it was not Cape Town, it was not one of those big city names that you know. It was this tiny little place that no one really knew about. So she wasn't in the right, she didn't grow up in the impressive city and everyone's like, oh, you're from there? This was a young girl, probably between the ages of 13 and 16, probably closer to the lower age of it. She did not come from a fancy family. She was not a princess. She was not a saint as she is today in, in the Catholic Church, right? She was just the pretty plain Jane, average plain Jane, nothing special about her. She wasn't even a wife. And back then, that mattered a lot. She was promised to a man, so she was engaged, and guess what? That man was a king? No, he wasn't. He was just a simple carpenter. Like, there was nothing special about him as well. So Mary, when she looked at her life, she felt insignificant because she's not from the right town. She's not from the right family. There's nothing special about her life. She's looking at herself, and she's like, how is this favored? I'm just average. And I think so many of us feel that way, where we start to feel insignificant at work, when people don't see me or when I try to do the same thing over and over and I just don't see different results. Some of us feel insignificant when I've tried so many different things, but still I do not know my purpose. Still I do not know what I'm here for. Still I do not know what really makes me happy or what I'm supposed to do with my life. We feel insignificant when our income is low or when my, when my home feels insignificant. All of these little things, right? And maybe the biggest 
thing that sits deep inside of our souls is maybe you feel insignificant because you feel like you've messed up so many times, you've got such a bad background, you've sinned so many times, you've messed up so many times, you've done so many wrong things that there is no way that the God of the universe could take an interest in you or care about you. Maybe that's what makes you feel insignificant. Because if I had to pick a place where I would put the king of kings, God's own son, I would have probably picked the most significant city in the world and the most significant family that's known by everyone. Like pick the president of the U.S. or something, right? So that everyone knows, ooh, Jesus is born. And maybe you feel significant because you're not that well-known and you don't live in the right place. But here's the interesting thing. God has never worked that way, the way we would work. God always does it a different way. God always goes for the least likeliest of people in the least likeliest of towns, and He chooses to use them. This is the first thing I want to leave with you today. If you feel insignificant because of external things like your money, like the amount of likes on your social media or views, whether you feel insignificant because a boss skipped over you again, whether you feel insignificant because of your broken past or your marriage that's falling apart, or you feel insignificant because you believe God cannot care about someone like you, I want to tell you it doesn't matter who you think you are because that's not necessarily the truth. What is the truth is who God says you are, because God is the one, the Bible says, that weaved you together in your mother's womb. God is the one who created you for purpose. So if anyone knows who you are, it is not you, it is the one who created you for purpose. And you are here today, I believe, not because your grandmother dragged you to church or because you, are, you came out of tradition. I believe you are here today because God still has a purpose and a plan for your life. And God sees things that no one else sees. But your feelings of insignificance is not a true reflection of your actual significance. The angel tells her in verse 30, he says, you have found favor with God. God chooses to use ordinary people for extraordinary things. And when I look at that question, I'm like, why would God choose to pick, why would God pick that girl out of all the people on earth? Why would he pick her? I'm like, I don't know, but God saw something in her. And maybe it was the fact that when Jesus was about 30 years old and soldiers came to arrest him, all of his disciples ran away. The guys would say, Jesus, we will die with you. And then when it came to the cross, the same thousands of people that when he rode on the back of a donkey into Jerusalem, people threw out the clothes and blankets and palm leaves in front of him and honored him as the king of kings, maybe because all of those were missing at his cross, but there was a mother standing in front of that cross that would not leave. Maybe that's what God saw in her. I don't know. But God sees things in us that no one else sees. And you have to learn not to view yourself by your own standards and measures, but to view yourself through God's eyes. God sees you, no matter who you are. And God knows you. And He cares about you. Maybe today you're here and you're like, Louis, I don't know if I can believe that, but okay, cool, God can 
Maybe he sees something in me, but my life is in such a bad position. I've messed up so many times. My marriage is so broken that even though he sees me, I don't think anything will ever change in my life. So what can God do with an insignificant, seemingly insignificant life? We read about that in verse 30 where the angel tells Mary, Mary, you will give birth to the Son of God. And Mary's first response is, but how? I'm a virgin. I've never been with a man in that way. Like, I cannot have children. Like, it is impossible for me to have children. And then the angels, oh, by the way, you know your, your family member, Elizabeth? She's like, yeah, the, the one that can't have children. The angels are like, yes. It's like, the, the really old one. Yes. Guess what? She's pregnant as well. You see, it was never about Elizabeth's ability. It was never about Mary's ability. It was about God's ability. God had something in their life that they couldn't do themselves. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, Louis, part of the reason why I am not a Christian is because you guys believe fairy tales like that a virgin can have a child. That doesn't make sense. Actually, it makes pretty good sense. And actually, we can do it as human beings. Do you know that? My brother is here visiting from South Africa. He's a veterinarian. He does it all the time with pigs and stuff. They call it artificial insemination. We call it in vitro in human beings. Science can make a virgin give birth. But we're like, oh, it's impossible for, for Mary to have a child when she's a virgin. You really believe that when science can do that, God is not capable of doing it? You see, we limit God not because God is limited. We limit God due to our own thought process processes due to science that we think like says this thing but then by the way it changes in a couple of years and then we place certain limitations on God we place limitations on God based on the tradition we grew up or the religion we grew up and I'm like in my tradition like maybe that happened in the past it cannot happen again today we place all kinds of limitations on God and God is not limited we limit God the angel tells Mary when Mary said like this cannot be the angel is like Mary no word from God will ever fail. You see, we serve a supernatural God. That's who I serve. I don't want to serve someone, who's a God that, that's limited to my abilities, that's limited to my reason, that's limited to my knowledge, because then he would be just like me. Then he wouldn't be God. Mary believed in a supernatural God and the angel told her, no word from God will ever fail. And I want to tell you today, do not let what you believe limit what God can do in your life. Do not let your background, your science, your religion, your tradition, your country, your personal situations limit what God can do in your life. Your situation your marriage is falling apart, your bad financial situation, um, your low self-esteem, your mental health issues, whatever it might be, does not dethrone God. It does not take Him off His throne, and it does not put limitations on God. Don't you go and put limitations on Him. See, Mary decided in that moment, instead of putting a limitation on God, she decided to trust Him. And suddenly Mary went from someone who was insignificant to someone with incredible significance. And thousands of years later, all across the world, yesterday and today, churches are gathering and remembering the story of Mary. Not because she was a holy person, not because she's a saint, not because Mary achieved all of her life goals, not because she worked her way up the corporate ladder, not because she was the perfect mother. Mary is significant 
significant, not because of her own significance, but because of the significance of the God she believed in. It didn't, didn't come from herself. It came from God. And just as God did something incredible in her life, I want to tell you, God can do something incredible in your life as well. Whether that is filling that hole, that emptiness, that feeling of insignificant, whether that is helping you through an addiction that you're struggling with, whether that is just helping you find meaning in your work, there is no limitations on what God can do in your life. And maybe you're here and you're like, I have actually tried it, but I didn't see anything change. I one day sat in a service a couple of years ago and I raised my hand. I'm like, okay, Jesus, like I surrender my life to you. So, you know, like, and then nothing happened. Maybe you feel that way. But there is a part to the story in the last verse that we read, I think that is so significant because Mary's story didn't just end there, but it this little part of her story ends in her response to the angel in verse 38. See, God was more than able to do this miracle. And God saw significance in the seemingly insignificant girl, and God didn't need Mary to change in order to do this in her life. He didn't need her to be perfect. He didn't need her to reach a certain age or to become a queen or to marry the right person. God didn't need Mary to change. What God needed from Mary was one thing. He needed her to surrender. And she goes in verse 38 and she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. She's like, God, I'm incapable of sorting out this mess in my own life. I'm incapable of fixing this. I'm incapable of doing this miracle. I'm incapable of fixing my feelings of insignificance on my own. God, I'm incapable to believe in you on my own. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to say here, God, I'm your servant. You take it. You do what you want because I have tried for many years, and I failed over and over and over again. And what's the definition of insanity? Is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, right? She surrendered. And I want to tell you today, God, if you're sitting here and you've always thought that in order to come to church, you have to live up to a certain level, or in order to follow Jesus, you first need to deal with all of this messiness in your life, or in order to come to Jesus, you need to be perfect or holy or whatever your definition might be. I want to tell you, you are wrong. God doesn't expect you to be anything different today than what you are. All He expects from you is to say here, I surrender my life. And He will change your life so that it develops into all that He's planned for you. Something so much better than you could ever imagine. But He invites you to come as you are and He says, just, just surrender. Like, I'll guide you. And God is a master at changing our lives for the better. All you need to do is say, I'm available. And that's our third point. If you want to be used by God, you have to make your life available to Him. It's no good to just raise a hand or to pray a quick prayer. You have to make your life available. And part of making your life available to Him doesn't mean that it's one decision where you go, I do it. It is that one decision, but it's a continuous process of trusting Him. Because here's the interesting thing that we don't read about Mary, but that we know just from history. The Jewish law said that if you had extramarital affairs, if she was pregnant without being married to Joseph, they could stone her to death. Joseph was allowed to not marry her anymore, which would be disaster for her because no one else would ever marry her again. Like back then, it was, was wild, right? So not only did Mary have to say, God, I surrender my life, you're welcome. She had to trust him that her fiancé would not leave her. 
And what was his first response? If you know the Bible story, he's like, I'm leaving her. And an angel appeared to him and he's like, no, you're not. Because God took care of her. She had to trust God every day when she walked out into that community that people won't pick up bricks and just stone her to death. She had to trust God that every promise that he made would be fulfilled. So every day, this is what, what we all have in common, right? Whether you've known Jesus your whole life. I grew up as a pastor's kid. All of my ancestors have been missionaries and theological professors and, 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 and pastors. And I've known Jesus most of my life. And maybe you're sitting here today and, and you are like that. Maybe you've just given your life to him. Maybe you don't know him at all. But there's one thing that every single one of us here in this room and everyone watching online have in common today. And that is that every single one of us need to learn how to trust God a little bit more. I'm not different from you there. And that was the move that Mary had to make, not just to surrender, but a continuous process where every day she had to say, God, give me enough grace today to get through this day, to continue to surrender to you, to continue to trust you. It's an ongoing process. So I want to close and I want to ask you this. Do you still believe that you are too insignificant, too broken, too messy, too ordinary for God to really love you for God to really care about you for God to really show an interest in you if you do I want to tell you that God has proven beyond all doubt that you are more valuable to him that you are more loved by him and that you are more significant in his eyes than you can ever imagine and he proved that by leaving heaven and coming to earth that he's often a very messy and broken place and walking here so that we could have a glimpse of who God is. And he said that ultimate love is proved in this, in one, one being willing to lay down your life for your friends. And when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just lay his life down for his friends. He laid it down so that every single person who's ever lived and everyone that will ever come that trusts in him will Receive healing. He has proven beyond a doubt that He loves you, that He cares about you, that you are significant to Him. Stop believing the lie that you're not good enough. He's, through His birth and through His death, He has proven it to us. And maybe you still struggle to trust God. Maybe you still struggle to trust that He's capable of more than your own ability. Maybe you still struggle because you have given everything and you just can't see how any other outside source can fix a situation that you're incapable of fixing. I want to tell you that is just a lie that you have to give up. Like, I struggle with that stuff as well. Like, I'm a very organized, like, step kind of person. I think, I think like an engineer. And often my mind will ask these questions. I'm like, this doesn't make sense to me. But then I keep reminding myself, it shouldn't all make sense to me because I do not want to believe in a God that's at my level, that's limited by my limitations. I want to believe in a supernatural savior. So every time when something doesn't make sense, every time when I struggle to, to believe something, when I feel like this, this, there's no way this could happen. This is beyond human capabilities. I'm like, ah, oh, yes. That's a good place to be at because that is the place where I have to rely on God's supernatural ability. So this Christmas season, I want to invite you to not just make it about the beautiful snow we had. I know all the Canadians are complaining. South Africans, we love it. 
To not just make it about the snow, to not just make it about the lights, to not just make it about the gifts under the tree or the trees or um, the family time. But I want to invite you to over this Christmas season to make it about Jesus again and to come before Him and to say, God, whether, you've ju- whether you're just here today and you're not certain about Him or whether you are here and you, you have already given that first step but you haven't surrendered everything, I want to invite each one of us to go in this Christmas season and just surrender everything to Him again. And so like, God, I'm incapable, but you are capable. I might be insignificant, but in you I find significance. I might be, might be lacking peace and joy, but in you I find all of that. I want to invite you to take a step of faith, to trust, and to say, I surrender. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that in our lowest moments, in our most painful moments, now, moments where we feel so insignificant. Thank you that in those moments that you reach out a hand to us. And that you save us from our own brokenness. I pray for every person who's listening to this today. I pray for every person who's struggling with feelings of insignificance. I'm struggling with brokenness in their lives during this season. And I pray that they will come to that conclusion that Mary made, that it is better to surrender to you than trying to do it all on your own. May we find hope. May we find light. May we find joy and peace and significance in you, Jesus. Because apart from you, we've tried. And it's always lacking. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for coming to earth. Thank you for proving your love on that cross. We love you, Jesus. Amen.